Welcome to the AI Business Podcast, where we feature conversations with interesting guests at the intersection of artificial intelligence and business. Hello, this is Ben Wodecki coming at you with another AI Business Podcast episode. Now, long-term listeners know we like to talk about defense, and this is a big one today. Today, we're joined by Lawrence Lee, who is the second permanent secretary of the Ministry of Defense. Lawrence, how's it going? Good to have you on. Hi, Ben. Uh, Great to speak to you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for taking the time out. We really appreciate it. Um, Lawrence, this is a a big, big conversation for us um, because last year the MOD put out the Defense AI Strategy Report unveiled at the AI Summit in June. It was a wonderfully hot day and I remember it very well. Um, Can you talk to us a little bit about that and how much that expands on the data strategy for defense that was published in in September. Yeah, absolutely, I can. It was a, a really exciting day for us. We've been pretty busy since then, uh, so I thought I would just say a little bit about um, that and kind of what it means for us. So, I mean, broadly, it set out how we will prepare and organise ourselves as much as it uh, it will talk about how we work with industry, with academia, uh, and of course, importantly, our allies to exploit this data with the use of AI and machine learning techniques. Well, also, I think facing up to some of the really difficult questions surrounding the use of AI in a military domain. Uh, Just in macro then, the first objective of the defense AI strategy is to make sure that we in defense are in what we call AI-ready organization. We think of being AI-ready as having, importantly, the right skills, just as importantly, the right leadership in place. The digital and data enablers ready and any new or revised policy prepared that we think we might need. So that's AI ready. The digital and data enablers are where the digital and data strategies for defense are absolutely critical, and you you mentioned those in your intro. The second objective is for us to harness our data and utilize our skills to develop battle-winning AI capabilities uh, at pace and at scale, and really importantly for us, responsibly. Central to our efforts on this uh, is the Defence AI Centre, which we hope will champion the use of AI throughout uh, the Ministry of Defence. It will help us innovate and scale science and technology into capability uh, and enable everything that we do by providing and supporting the required tooling, expert advice and uh, skills development. There's that skills word again. It's so critical to what we're trying to do here. Working with our UK industry and academia partners in new ways also is just key to success in this area. So that new ways of working thing is not lost on us. Strengthening our defense AI ecosystem is our third objective. So we're really keen to develop new relationships, solve new requirements, think about problems in a different way, and remove commercial barriers uh, to really work better with small and medium-sized enterprises. And you'll recall that that was a quite a, a feature of the launch uh, back in the summer last year and where we haven't really got it right in the past so we really want to make that feel different so that those uh, businesses we're both able it, it's easy for, for them to work with us and we're able to get our hands on the extraordinary brain power and innovation and creativity that goes on within those businesses and finally to your uh, good opening uh, open question our final objective is to face the challenging global strategic questions around the use of AI in the military domain. And you you know more than anyone, Ben, that this is a, a kind of live uh, and pretty active conversation. Uh, here in Defence, we want to make sure that development of the systems I've described is safe, 
and responsible, uh, and we want to promote stability and security in the use of AI. Lawrence, thank you. It, it's it's a very all-encompassing document. Having when I went through it in June, I was very actually surprised at the scope. It's very detailed, and how it's been put together with what's going on at the moment is is quite stark. Um, and you talked about allies on the aspect of that. I'd like to to kind of test your brain a bit. How is the UK's stance on AI policies in defence differing from allies such as maybe the EU or, or, or the US? It's a really good question. I mean, yes, I would say we're pretty closely aligned on our approaches to this topic, uh, which gives me some comfort, and it's by design. We work very closely with our allies, of course, including the EU and US partners on that, here's that word again, on the responsible development of new technologies and military capabilities. We've got a pretty similar perspective on the opportunity as well as the potential problems. I think as you would expect during the drafting of our strategy, we were in pretty constant engagement actually with our allies uh, and we are continuing that dialogue. I mean, we get so much from just slightly different perspectives from the EU and the US uh, and I hope they they are enriched by how the UK system thinks about these questions. I mean, I think it's um, it sounds rather trite, but it, it is so important to us to really be flexing to the kind of perimeter of these issues with the very best minds thinking about these questions. Um, both, as you know, the US and NATO have published their own ethical principles in the use of AI, uh, which again I think you'll know are pretty uh, uh, strongly aligned with uh, the, the British view on this. I mean, thinking about the future. Uh, we've got to just stay joined up if we're going to achieve interoperability. Uh, this this has got to include, I guess, establishing common ways of operating, uh, and that common way of operating has to include the use of responsible AI in the battle space and in how we think about collaborating on capability development. One, one key objective of the strategy is to shape the global norms and standards of AI development in line with um, that sort of foundational document uh, the integrated review, uh, which for us is is really about projecting stability and security in the use of this technology. And this is still, I, I don't think anyone's achieved that yet, but it's very much a, a key uh, objective for us. And, and we will continue to work very closely with uh, the allies that you've mentioned in order to achieve that. And on that, Lawrence, as well, I think it was quite apt that on the day that you announced it at the, uh, the show, you had... Uh, the AI data policy chief from NATO kind of saying similar things, right, in terms of of uh, the responsible side of things. Um, there's one thing, Lawrence, that I'd like to dig in, which is around kind of PSYOPs. So um, that's so for the audience that's using AI, spreading misinformation. So at a recent Westminster Foreign Policy event, I was a speaker for some reason, and um, I said that AI has the near potential to be one of the biggest producers of misinformation what lawrence will this defense strategy be to combat that potential spread yeah i think your uh your kind of analysis is is right i mean ai could enable uh, a range of threats to our national security both both here in the uk but more broadly in the west um and the spread of misinformation and for example the use of deep fakes is, is definitely uh, something we've got to challenge. I guess an example of that, um, chat GPT, large language models, and Google's Lambda, I mean, hugely powerful tools, uh, but we're already seeing how they can be 
misused or, or at least produced wildly inaccurate or even damaging uh, information. It's, it's easy to imagine how adversaries might use these same technologies to spread misinformation on an industrial scale and, and seek to disrupt and undermine uh, our institutions. So, so what do we do? Um, how we see this is that our response to those threats must be based on education, encouraging people to challenge what they're seeing online, and frankly, to do their due diligence. AI also has a key role in combating misinformation, and uh, we do work closely with colleagues across government, including the Office for AI, and importantly, the the super national cyber security center on these issues. But Ben, as you know, these are, these are kind of emerging uh, challenges and the responses are still uh, emerging. But I think technology helps you fight technology in this space. Uh, no, I think you're right. And I think one of the ways we can see that these sorts of issues are emerging is, I mean, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention it at least once today, is the, is the war that is going on in Ukraine. And, you know, AI, things like that have, have emerged and, and, um, you know, the example of drones being used by both sides, uh, making a, a real difference uh, in, in the ongoing conflict. Lawrence, just generally, do you th- what's your kind of view on how AI will change warfare? We talked about the, the misinformation aspect, which usually leads around conflict time. But what about the actual like, concept of warfare itself? That's a great, great question. Um, Russia's illegal invasion of Ukraine, as I think, really starkly highlighted the threat and the changing nature of operations uh, thanks to AI and in particular autonomous capabilities. Um, I mean, you won't be surprised to know that we're looking pretty closely at what's happening in Ukraine, um, including the use of drones uh, and other technologies. I mean, some of this isn't really new. So drones were also used during the Nagorno-Karabakh conflicts last year, uh, though there, there haven't really been clear demonstrations of these drones operating autonomously They've definitely given both sides um, the advantage of increased mass and innovative ways of operating. AI will also have an effect on the speed and tempo at which warfare is conducted. I think this is a really uh, profound point. Enhanced analysis will see decisions made, I think, in much quicker time, allowing for much quicker responses to threats, be they physical or cyber. And then your advantage, I think, is down to um, how much you understand and how quickly you can make a decision based on that understanding uh, in in times of conflict. And finally, I'd say, I mean, sub-threshold warfare uh, will be uh, impacted by this technology, be that in how we counter disinformation or respond to AI-enhanced enhance cyber threats which are more uh, persistent and complex no i think i think that's right but you guys are doing some stuff as well in terms of uh applying and testing ai um projects so um there's a few that you've done uh in in tandem with u.s colleagues uh near my home on the wonderful salisbury plains you've done that uh, over the last couple of years what kind of lessons are you guys learning not only from the projects, but from working closely with those allies on those projects? Yeah, this is, um, I mean, certainly the, the lessons are starting to emerge, uh, but we're learning all the time, frankly. I guess one important lesson is uh, the importance of key enablers that are critical to building effective collaborations. And, and this that sounds rather bland, but is so critical to this. So what, what I think we've learned is, for example, how we can share data, uh, with uh, partners, develop common standards and infrastructure requirements. That's an easy thing to say and a harder thing to do. And in, really importantly, test and evaluate models 
together. So that key enabler, how you get the collaboration working, um, really more in the ways of working space, but so critical to how we make progress on this topic. Uh, we, we expect to be operating in coalitions more in the future, uh, as well as making mutual progress on the technology together. It's, it's pretty key that we understand how to bring, uh, how should I say, multidisciplinary, multinational teams together as a, an artificial intelligence task force to ensure operators have got access to and can use the very best AI solutions in a multinational environment. This is vital so we can continue to operate safely and effectively with our key allies. And on that, you're, you're keeping it human-centric as well. That's a huge thing that's sifted throughout the report is really keeping human in the loop and you know the responsibility you've touched on earlier. But it's, it's a really poignant point because the AI industry is really narrowing on the need for responsible uh, responsibility in AI, rather. Um, you've got the Responsible AI Institute having some of the biggest names involved in that. But what are, Lawrence, the implications of making responsible AI central to any military tech strategy like you've done with this report? Yeah, uh, look, I'm, uh, you, you'll have read the policy statement, ambitious, safe, uh, and responsible. I'm really proud of that because, in part, we really consulted very broadly um, across the landscape of stakeholders, so you know, academia, industry. Some, some great thinkers helped us um, wrestle what we thought the policy should be uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased about that, and I'd encourage your listeners to go and have a have a read because it does actually unpick, I think, uh, and illuminate a lot of the you know really knotty ethical challenges that that AI potentially brings. Uh, and what that document does for me, I mean, in, it includes our ongoing commitment to safe capability design and operation. It's articulated our ethical principles in the use of AI, um, which have got to be tested to ensure that. Um, the artificial intelligence in defense remains responsible. Uh, and these principles are human centricity, responsibility, understanding, bias and harm mitigation, and reliability. Applying those and developing safe technology isn't really new to us here in defense. Good systems design, robust testing, and continued good practice We've been doing that for decades. Uh, we wouldn't deploy a capability had it not met the very high bar in terms of standards, regulations, and safety. And our systems have got to be safe for our users who need to trust the technology they're working with, of course, often in very dangerous environments. So I guess it's applying that rigor to these new opportunities in the way that that uh, uh, document uh, describes. Currently, we're focused on um, implementing and adapting the right processes and frameworks here in defense to ensure that the principles can live throughout our organization and are properly embedded. Uh, what does that mean? Well, I think it means suitable standards for data and algorithms need to be followed. Um, accountability chains for the development and use of these systems need to be in place. And finally, robust test and evaluation techniques uh, to prove understanding and reliability. And that, that's not really an exhaustive, exhaustive list. Um, and I think there are likely to be other requirements before we uh, put systems into deployment. So we don't see these as onerous or necessary, uh, although they sound it. In fact, we take a pretty opposite view. Um, responsible AI will translate into super effective capabilities. 
And I, I might just repeat that. Responsible AI will translate into super effective capabilities. If we don't take sufficient time to fully qualify our systems, they may fail when we most need them. So we really think it's worth the effort. Um, our people, and we often say this in defense and we really mean it, are our most important asset and will be fundamental to the responsible uh, adoption here. Machines are good at certain tasks, as you know, Ben. They may help us see the pattern amongst the noise of vast quantities of data or head into dangerous environments. Uh, people are much better at judging the situation for all the variables and applying creative thinking. So human-machine teaming will be our default uh, approach. This approach will, I think, help us make the very best use of our people and achieve a multiplier effect in a responsible, human-centered way. And I, I, I hope that feels reassuring because it does to our people. No, I think I think that's fair. I think that is completely reassuring because what you're saying is, you know, in line with what private sector companies are doing um, and what they're actually looking to apply as well. Last year was the year for responsible AI and it's only going to get bigger this year. Um, but on that point, Lawrence, how important is it that what you're saying just now about this strategy in terms of aligning with the private sector so that's not just private sector companies like the defense contractor privates like bae and such but the actual tech people and wider companies as well how important is it that you've got that alignment for ai work really important chapter four of the strategy sets out how we'll work with industry and academia uh, to um you know deliver on the ambition of the uk's national ai strategy in defence, we aim to develop the broadest, deepest range of partnerships across the AI sector, uh, becoming recognised as a natural partner for collaboration. Big statement, that's the ambition that we hold. Developing these relationships will mean uh, we're really well positioned to respond to the innovations and breakthroughs often led by SMEs uh, and academics. So this is sort of super important for us. Much of the private sector, I think, has already begun realising the business efficiencies that AI can offer. So we've also got to realize these benefits and recognize AI has a place in how we do our core business, as well as frontline capabilities. And there is a risk that sometimes your business process gets, gets um, you know, dropped to the bottom of the uh, investment priority list. For me, it's super important that we um, make sure that our ways of working, how we run the business, are enabled um, by AI to make us kind of leaner, more efficient, and more cost-effective. Remember, we're paid for by the taxpayer, so we take this stuff really seriously. So this includes using artificial intelligence in our financial planning, in how we manage our people, and technical support and information uh, retrieval. Lawrence, on the point of people, though, there is, you know, there's a, a big elephant in the room, and that is the the shortage of, of of tech workers, people with knowledge and understanding of building and developing AI systems, and it, not just in defence. That's across the private sector. That's everyone is looking for for people right now. And so, on that point, how are you know how are you developing the UK workforce to ensure that you actually have enough expertise to tap into? Yeah, I think well, as you say, it's a kind of national level um, challenge, isn't it? As our as our economy um, shifts. Um, we're working really closely with the uh, Office for AI, um, the UK government lead, uh, implementing the national AI strategy to, to have a look at UK-based AI skills development at a national level. This includes um, boost the market for AI master's courses through the Industrial Funded Masters in AI program, that's the IMAI. That's £117 million invested in creating PhDs through UK RI Centres for Doctoral Training in AI. And we're investing £46 million in um, Turing AI fellowships. 
uh, as well as the AI and data science conversion course scholarship program. And of course, you know, the, these, these um, investments will take some time to come to fruition, but I think it shows you that we're willing to put uh, our money uh, where our mouth is. We've established a dedicated AI skills profession led here by in defense, by the Defense AI Center, uh, and already have multiple development opportunities for our existing staff and are planning to expand our offer to them. And I really hope that perhaps draws some of your listeners to consider coming to help us out in defense. We've got some of the, the most wicked, challenging, exciting problems, and we'd love you to come and join us and help us solve them. I mean, you know, frankly, we are competing with talent for the likes of Google and Microsoft, and we're you know pretty level-headed about how hard that's going to be. Uh, but you know, the, cha the challenges that that folks can hope to um, attack here in defence they're novel, uh, and I think and hope that we'll remain an attractive uh, employer in this domain as a result. Well, speaking of investments, one of the point I wanted to ask you about was around the same time, probably the same day, you announced uh, an acquisition of a quantum computer, the wonderful Orca. Now, sadly to our listeners, uh, Barry, who is the editor of our sister title, Enter Quantum, was going to be here today, but needs must. I'm, I am going to ask you um, on her behalf, because it's just as exciting in terms of technological developments and seeing the MOD advance and, and really kind of get to grips with this new and exciting technology. Why is it important for national security to, to gain this kind of early leg up in terms of quantum computing, Lawrence? Yeah, it's hugely exciting, isn't it? Um, uh, well, I, th I think you'd share this view, Ben. I mean, quantum technology promise um, is vast. Uh, here in defense, we see potential huge benefits uh, in areas like computing and cryptography, as well as sensing and timing applications, which underpin so many of our applications and capabilities. DSTL, um, the Science and Technology Laboratory, a world-class science and technology capability, um, will help us make sure we understand the potential of these uh, and other emerging technologies so that we can exploit them into military capabilities as they mature. And our purchase of an Orca quantum computer is a great example of how we're staying at the very sharp edge of research and development in these areas. We're supporting UK industry. This was Orca's first commercial sale. And locating this asset at the National Quantum Computer Centre, I think, ensures the capability can be accessed by industry and academic partners, not just government. It's also a good example of how defence activity and investment contributes to the wider government agenda to secure our status as a science and technology superpower by 2030, helping develop uh, UK technical skills and creating new partnerships around the world. So you're right, Ben, it's hugely exciting, uh, and I'm following it very closely. As am I. I'm really excited, not just about the quantum side, but the AI side, obviously, as well. Um, and there's so many cool things on the way. So Tempest, I got to see Tempest kind of up close, the, the kind of models at FIA last year really exciting i love the kind of concept of the the mini swarms coming out but what can we expect in terms of the approach the uk's approach to ai and defense going forward lawrence uh, i think if i was being really brief ambition innovation and responsibility and i think you would expect me to say that but that's how we're thinking about these questions i mean without artificial intelligence the uk military would risk losing its war fighting edge and the ability to keep uh, all of us safe. This strategy is the MOD's roadmap to becoming the world's most effective, efficient, trusted, and influential defense organization uh, for our size. We've got some of the thorniest and most challenging use cases for AI anywhere. 
We've also got some of the most motivated people, richest data sets, importantly, and greatest opportunities for the deployment of AI. So the opportunities for innovation and the creative use of AI in defense are really significant. And we want to encourage the broadest range of partnerships across the AI sector. Now, having said all that, we really clear that the use of AI technology in defense is controversial for some people. So I think we've got an obligation to make the best use of the technology to ensure our national security and that of our allies is, is paramount in how we think about these technologies. It's critical to use the technology safely and ethically, both to retain the confidence of the public and our partners and to hold others to account for irresponsible behaviours. So that will be our approach, Ben. Lawrence, I think that's that's a very apt approach and I think there's exciting things to come and I look forward to seeing it expand further. Until then, Lawrence, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks, Ben. It's been great to talk to you. We'll have to have you back soon. And for our wonderful listeners and audience, thank you so much again. Please be sure to subscribe to the AI Business Newsletter for all your news and views every single day. And please, as ever, stay safe. Thank you. To get more AI news and insights, visit our website at AIbusiness.com. Until next time, thank you for listening.